Welcome to the Rural Births podcast. This podcast was created to record and share stories from the many rural women who have birthed, to allow them to voice their experience and learn from them. I want rural women who are pregnant, planning to get pregnant, or entering their postpartum period to feel supported and know that, although care may be via distance, there are options. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced on you and country. We acknowledge the innate birthing wisdoms and traditions held by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, the traditional custodians of this land. We remember the first women of this nation, the custodians of land and birth, who birthed on country in culture and tradition. Here, as we share in stories, stories of birth, preconception, pregnancy and postpartum experiences from remote, rural and outer regional communities. May we remember and stand for the cultural significance of birth, women's business and birthing on country. May we nurture and support women through this rite of passage as we hear of possibilities ignited and limitations created. May we share in the power of storytelling and memory as we listen and learn from these birth stories. And may we always remember the ancestral wisdoms belonging to the country these birth stories occur on today. Today's episode is with Tara from Macedon Ranges in rural Victoria. Tara has two children. She birthed in both a CBD hospital and a small regional hospital. Tara was a nurse and also studying to be a midwife. She shares that originally she wanted to be in the bigger metro hospital in case something did go wrong. This hospital also did offer an MGP program and Tara determinedly found a way into the program in order to experience that continuity of care. She had visions of a water birth, but her labour and birth experience moved quite differently. Tara shares her difficult first labour. She spoke as a strong advocate for herself, but at times was not heard. This first labour was hard. Tara experienced and needed to work through birth trauma prior to her second birth. She shares deeply about her experiences with anxiety and with depression. For her second birth, she actively pursued different care and was very clear with her obstetrician and midwife about her needs in labour after her first experience. This second birth still had twists and turns, but allowed Tara to feel the support listening and consideration that were lacking in her first birth. Tara felt 
this difference. This smaller rural maternity unit had time for her. Their care was more personal. She found the experience very healing. Tara had also engaged with hypnobirthing and used the Freya app to support her during pregnancy and labour and would thoroughly recommend this accessible resource for other rural women. I'm Tara. Um, I am married to my husband, Dan. We've been together for seven years, seven and a half years. Um, we have a, a two little boys. River turns two in two weeks and Hendrix is three months old. Um, and we're lucky enough to live in the beautiful Macedon Ranges in Victoria. Awesome. And have you always lived there or did you used to live more city side and move rurally? Um, I've lived all over the place. Um, my husband grew up here, which is why um, we're here now. We've only lived here since uh, April. Um, we've sort of lived around the area, but yeah, settled in Romsey in April. Um, so I grew up in Euroa, which is a small country town in Victoria, um, sort of halfway between Melbourne and Aubrey. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, have moved around quite a bit. I moved to Ballarat for uni, um, then met my husband and we moved, we lived in Melbourne for three years together um, and then moved back to the country just before we got married. And that's where you had your oldest in Melbourne? Yeah, so we were living um, about an hour out of Melbourne, but I decided to give birth at the hospital that I was working at. Um, oh, cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> not the best decision in hindsight, um, but yeah, thought that that was the best choice. Um, yeah. We were an hour from three different hospitals. Uh, so yeah, I decided to go with the one that I knew and the one that I worked at. Um, there was a smaller regional hospital um, that was about 25 minutes away, which is actually where I had Hendrix. Um, but being my first baby and being a nurse um, as well, and I was studying to be a midwife at the time, my mindset was be prepared for what can go wrong, which has completely changed now. That's not my mindset now. Yeah. So I just wanted to be in a bigger hospital just in case something did go wrong. Um, yeah. Yes, that's why we decided to have him in a metro hospital rather than the smaller country hospital. And um, what was their kind of, care pattern like um because you were going through a mgp program is that correct yeah so i harassed them until i got accepted into <laughs> the mgp program so that happened when i was about 22 weeks from memory um and i was with a grad nurse so um i was told that she would be my midwife until um she finished her rotation in june or july and then i would swap midwives for the last two or three months of my pregnancy which i was fine with i was just grateful um, to be part of the mgp program mm -hmm. um so all my mid all my appointments were with the same midwife from that point and i clicked with her really well the first midwife i had she was amazing um, we seem to be on the same page and have the same ideas of an ideal birth, which was great. Um, 
And like I said, I was studying to be a midwife. So I had an idea of what I wanted and I had some expectations. Um, I delivered a few babies myself by that point. So yeah, I knew what I wanted, which ideally would have been um, a pain relief free water birth, uh, which is not what I got at all. (laughs) Yeah. And like you'd think you landed in the right spot to be in an MGP program for those things. Yeah. Yeah. So then when she left and I got my new midwife, um, I, I just didn't click with her. I felt like every appointment I was repeating myself. Um, and she always, it was kind of like she looked down on on my choices and what I was asking for and didn't really support me um, as much as I would have expected. Um So I had mentioned at my booking appointment that I did have a a past history of anxiety and depression and it wasn't brought up again until I requested to see somebody when I was about 34 weeks and I was just really starting to struggle. So Dan, um, up until seven weeks ago, has been working FIFO. So he was two weeks on, two weeks off flying um, to South Australia and back. Um, And yeah, so I just, I didn't really have much support around me. My family was over an hour away and um, like his family was near me, but it's a bit different when they're not my family. Yeah. Um, So yeah, my anxiety was getting quite bad. I was worried that he was going to miss the birth and that something might go wrong. So I requested to speak to someone um, and I think it was about four weeks that I had to wait to get an appointment. So I might've been closer to 35 weeks um, when that happened. And then conveniently started to have reduced movements. River just stopped moving. Um, So I might end up jumping back and forth quite a bit here. That's okay. Um, I still haven't processed it all. Um, So yeah, the timeline in my head, head is still quite a bit jumbled. So I'll stick to the timeline as much as I can. (laughs) It can be like the timeline for you as well. And I think sometimes we connect back (laughs) to there and it all starts. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I've already, yeah, I've already skipped things. I realized Um, we had a miscarriage before we fell pregnant with River. um, And that was quite traumatic in itself anyway. Um, So that was a miscarriage. I found out at 10 weeks and the baby had stopped growing at seven weeks um pass everything naturally and then yeah we were quite lucky to fall pregnant with river um first go um yeah and that would have added to anxiety as well oh absolutely yeah yeah so it's like I was on edge the whole pregnancy that I was just waiting for something to go wrong so when he stopped moving I was like of course (laughs) of course he would stop moving so I had multiple multiple um presentations for reduced movements um and what do Would they do for reduced movements when you do popping? Yeah, so I uh, they do a CTG, and I think after the third presentation for reduced movements, they did an ultrasound just to check what they call AFI and Dopplers. So just checking the blood flow from the placenta through the placenta to the baby, um, and then checking your fluid levels. And all of that was perfect. He was in the perfect position. I'd been having Braxton Hicks since about 15 weeks, so they weren't really concerned um, about that. Uh, They got quite intense about 37 weeks. 
Um, so I was in sort of early labor on and off for about two weeks. Um, and then it got to 37 weeks and I, I think it was maybe my fourth or fifth presentation for reduced movements. We had a plan for me to come in every second day and I was in nearly every day anyway. I was like, he's just not moving. Um, And when he was, it was really small movements and which is not normal towards the end of pregnancy. People say, you know, maybe they've run out of room, but they should keep keep moving just as much. The movements might change and might go from big rolls and flips to just sort of a kick and a punch here and there. But yeah, I just, I could go eight or 10 hours without feeling him move. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it got to the point where I just said, look, you need to do something. I can't keep coming in every day. I live an hour from the hospital. You know, I'm very uncomfortable. I had pelvic girdle pain. I had heartburn. I was just so uncomfortable. And then the early labor. So every night from about 7 p.m. till about 11 p.m., I was having contractions and then they'd just go away. Um, And they said, look, we're not going to be able to induce you before 39 weeks. You're not term yet. I said, I'm 37 weeks. I am I am term, like something needs to happen. Um, The doctor went to speak to um, what they call the induction midwife. So he came back and goes, look, we've got you an induction date. Hand me a bit of paper with the date written on the front with some information. He goes, read this and show up at this date and time. And I looked at it and I laughed and he said, what? And I said, conveniently, when I'm bang on 39 weeks, that's when you're going to induce me. And he's like, yeah. And I said, and it's the day before my birthday. And he goes, oh, I can make it later if you want to. And I went, no, nope, it's fine, whatever. So, um, yeah, so I think that was about a week beforehand. So I called my husband. He got the next flight home that he could so that we could spend a few days together um, and so that he could drive me to these appointments because I still had to come in every second day um, to have the um, the CTGs done. Um, so the day of the induction, we I, I was like feeling building up to that. So anxious <laughs> wanted as well. But how are you feeling about laboring in induction? And did you have some strategies, things that you'd kind of grabbed onto and yeah, so I'd done um not as well as I could have, but I'd done an online hypnobirthing course. Um, I actually had quite a few people that were pregnant around the same time as me. Um, So my best friend had her third baby eight weeks before I had River. Um, Mm -hmm. Two of my husband's cousins had a baby two weeks either side of me. Um, and then my cousin had a baby two weeks before me as well. So there was quite a few people around me that were pregnant um but yeah one of my husband's cousins her and I did a hypnobirthing course online together um we did the same course it was actually it's based in the UK so it was the positive birthing company or positive yeah. birth company um and they've got a really good app as well called Freya which uses your breathing techniques as well as a contraction timer so when you hit it that your contraction has started um it talks you through your breathing which I actually found really helpful. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. So I'd gotten some breathing techniques and things like that um, from her. And I was feeling really good about it. Like I said, I was studying to be a midwife. So I'd seen Mm. 
most of the births I'd been at were inductions. Um, I'd seen some some that didn't quite progress and some that were really good and some that were really nice and I just yeah had a positive mindset like I was anxious yeah. but I was grateful to have an end date um that I yeah. knew that once I went in within a couple of days I would have had a baby um and I just yeah I needed him out <laughs> I, I needed my body back and I just felt helpless as well like um like I said, I'm a nurse and I work in special care nursery. So my specialty is babies. So I knew what to do with him on the outside, but I felt like I couldn't do anything for him if something went wrong while I was pregnant. Um, So I was just, yeah, relieved to have an end date. Um, So that morning I was awake at six o'clock in the morning. Um, My husband and I, we went out for lunch and we went shopping. Like I said, it was the day before my birthday. So it was a bit of a treat um I'm glad I had a big lunch because I didn't actually eat again until I think it was 10 o'clock the next morning um yeah so we had the bags packed so we didn't have to go back home spend the day yeah shopping and enjoying ourselves got to the hospital at 4 p.m um I think by the time I got in and got a bed was about 5 p.m Um, the plan was just to check my cervix. I'd had a couple of correction sweeps and I hadn't dilated at all. I was still, um, I think three centimeters long and not soft at all. So I had to have ripening done. Um, and that's why you were there like the night before. Yeah. 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 So the plan was to have a balloon inserted, which will stay in for 12 hours and then How go did to you birth find sleep. the balloon as well, having already had all these Braxton Hicks and things like your body was ready to contract yeah. and different things and the balloon can really set that off as well? Yeah, so the reason they didn't want to start me with Cervidil, which is like the tampon with the hormone gel on it, was because I was already having contractions. Um, so the idea was to insert the balloon and just open my cervix so they can break my waters. Um and that was horrendous. Um, that was where uh, the trauma of it all started. So they attempted to put the balloon in and I couldn't tolerate it. Um, so it's done with a speculum and I've never been able to tolerate speculums for pap smears and things like that. So I was already dreading it um, and no amount of deep breathing got me through that. So then they took me to another room where they had gas and air available um, and said to suck on the gas and give that a go. Um, They tried again and no luck. Um, I just couldn't tolerate the pain. After that, the obstetrician basically told me to suck it up and stop crying because I was making it hard for her to do her job. And that if I couldn't tolerate this one, it wasn't fair to make her continue um, and that we'd have to opt for something else. So I did, I sucked it up and tried really hard not to cry because it was making it hard for her um, and they got the balloon in. Um, It was really hard for my husband to sit there and watch as well. So they got the balloon in. I then. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Looking back, like I was just like, yep, okay, fine, whatever. And looking back, I was 
one disgusted that a woman would say that to me um and also as an obstetrician I was like where is your empathy I don't know if she had children but that's not the point um yeah she was in my most private parts like I know I was about to push a baby out of there and that's pretty I think that's what she said to me at one point if you can't tolerate this how are you going to have a baby and I was like oh my god and she just really made me doubt myself um and yeah it was all downhill from there so as soon as that was in I asked if I could hop in the shower um because at home the bath and the shower had been my biggest pain relief for everything from the pelvic girdle pain to the back pain to the Braxton Hicks um I just I I needed to be in water so they said no you have like we need 20 minutes of a good trace to make sure the baby's tolerated all of this before you can do that and I think it took about an hour to get a good trace before they finally said yep that's fine you can hop in the shower because obviously I couldn't like I couldn't say stay still I was in so much pain and they said give it that 20 minutes and the the pain will go away it's just your cervix being irritated and as soon as that balloon was in, I started having contractions and they didn't believe me because nothing was showing up on the trace. Um, but no one had touched me. So I knew that I was having contractions yeah. and I just kept being told that I wasn't. So I finally and got they were the just shower. looking at a machine. Like, yeah, go, yeah, exactly. Let's have the machine tell us. That, oh yeah. God. Yeah. So, and the pain was constant and then would intensify with the contraction. So it wasn't even like, you know, I had pain for 30 or 40 seconds, then I was okay for a minute or so. It was just that constant tightness and pain in my belly and in my cervix. Like I could feel the balloon in my cervix and I ended up on my hands and knees in the shower because I couldn't stand up. I couldn't sit down nothing was comfortable and I was using the Freya app um, to time these contractions that they told me I wasn't having um, that were coming sort of every 60 seconds and lasting 45 to 60 seconds and Mm. I couldn't it got to the point where I couldn't breathe through them that I was I was vocalizing and my husband kept coming in and asking if I was okay and yeah he really struggled seeing me in that much pain and he said, ask them to take it out. And I said, no, I can't. You know, it hasn't been long enough. They said I had to stay in for 12 hours. And he's like, it's, it's you know, it's been two hours. And I felt like it had been 20 minutes. So um, I pushed the call bell and asked, asked them to take it out. And the midwife said she had to ask the obstetrician. And then she came back and she took some water out, which helped for about 10 minutes. And then it yeah. all just ramped up again. Yeah. Uh, so I pressed the call bell again. And it was shift change at this point. And every midwife I'd seen, I didn't know. I hadn't recognised any of them. Mm. Um, and then I had one walk in and she was actually a friend of mine. And I went, oh, my God, please tell me you're my midwife tonight. She goes, I don't know. I've, I've just answered the call well. And I was like, I need, like, I need this out. I can't do this anymore. So, yeah, she went and spoke to the obstetrician again and the obstetrician came in and said, look, we can take it out, but we've started, so we're going to have to do something. So we can take it out, give you a break for a couple of hours and see what's happening. And I was like, yep, that's fine. Just take it out. At this point, I don't care. I need it taken out. So, yeah, they took it out and I finally had some relief I was still having about three contractions every 10 minutes um, and that was with nothing that no balloon nothing 
just my body doing its thing. Um, my husband left because he couldn't stay with me where I was. So he left, we'd booked a motel room because we lived an hour away. We thought it's too far if something happens. So he had a motel about five minutes away. Um, He left about 10 p.m. And I came in just after he left and said, look, we'll give you, yeah, two hours. We'll see what's happening. If nothing's happening, then we'll put some server deal in. Um, I was like, that's fine. So they came back. I hadn't dilated at all. I still wasn't even a centimetre dilated. Um, they put Servadil in and within 10 minutes, it was just intense, just back-to-back contractions, back to that intense pain. Um, I don't know how, but I lasted two hours with it in before I buzzed and said, I need pain relief. Um, I had been sucking on the gas and it was, it was doing nothing. I just felt like I was drunk and in pain, um, which is not fun. Um, so I can remember they offered me heat packs and they kept coming in and doing traces and they're like, look, you know, we don't think you're in labor. Um, there's nothing showing up on the machine. And someone finally touched me and went, oh no, you are having pretty strong contractions. So I, it's all a bit of a blur from here. (laughs) Um, I can remember there being two midwives and an obstetrician in the room. And I can could hear one of the midwives and the obstetrician arguing about what to do. And I was completely naked, leaning over the bed and just moaning and swaying through these contractions. And you didn't have your partner with you at this point? No, no. I felt like he'd just left. It didn't feel like. So I think it was about two o'clock in the morning by this point. So... Yeah, it was two hours with the server Dylan and he'd been gone for two hours when they put it in. Um, so, I, yeah, I can remember the one of the midwives and the obstetrician arguing about what they were going to do and the obstetrician going, well, we started, we have to leave it in. And the midwife going, well, you can't leave her like that. You need to do something. And the other midwife just pulled it out while, while they were arguing. And the obstetrician's like, what are you doing? She goes, we can't leave her like that. Like... Yeah. So they, I was having, uh, by that stage, six to seven contractions in 10 minutes. So there was no break. It was just constant. They would build up and peak and start to die off and peak again. So, yeah, for about two hours, I hadn't had a break at all between my contractions. Um, they, when they pulled it out, it died off again, but I was still having about four contractions in 10 minutes, but I was having a break between. So they checked me and it felt like it took forever. And it felt like when they checked me before they put the server deal in and it was really painful. And I just expected them to tell me that nothing had happened. Um, and she goes, now you're three centimeters dilated. And I burst into tears. Um, she's like, that's a good thing. I was like, no, that's why I'm crying. I thought you were going to tell me that nothing had happened. She goes, nope, you're three centimeters and you're fully effaced. What do you want to do? I said, I want an epidural. She goes, that's fine. Um, we're going to call your midwife in. And cause she hadn't been there the whole time um, because she was coming up um, to her hours. Like there's only a certain amount of hours that they're allowed to work. Yeah. So um, we had agreed that she wouldn't come in until I was moved to birth suite. Um, 
And I think she lived about 40 minutes away or 30 minutes away from the hospital. Mm-hmm. So while they called her while they were waiting, they put um, a cannula in my hand, um, took some bloods for the epidural and I called my husband, got him to come back and then called my mom. So she was my second support person in pre-COVID times when you can have two support yeah. people. Um, and she lived an hour and a half away, about two hours from the hospital, but she was staying at my house, which was an hour away. So um, she made her way to the hospital. Um, I can remember they wanted to put me in a wheelchair and I said, I can't sit down. Let me just just walk to the birth suite. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was near a nurse's station. So I walked out of birth suite and one of the nurses or one of the midwives that I worked with in the nursery was sitting at the desk and I had not been quiet for hours. And I remember looking up and going, oh, hi. <laughs> and she's like, hi, Tara, how are you? And I'm like, oh, not too bad. <laughs> so, yeah, I headed down the hallway and I was just really glad that they didn't put me in a birth suite with um, with a birth pool in it because I would have been miserable about the fact that I couldn't get in it. Um, and I think they had 10 birth suites with pools in them. Um, yeah, so I was really glad that they didn't put me in one of those rooms. Um, so they got me to birth suite. It would have been maybe three o'clock by that point. I'm a bit fuzzy with the times. Mm -hmm. Um, my midwife had been called, they couldn't call the anaesthetist until my midwife got there because they didn't have any spare midwives that could stay with me um, one-on-one once the epidural had been put in. Um, but while they waited, they broke my waters. Um, and in the time it took for me to, from when they checked me in um the maternity assessment centre, which is where I was with the Servadil, to when I got to birth suite an hour later, I was four centimetres. I dilated a centimetre in an hour, which I was stoked with. Um, They broke my waters and I instantly had an urge to push, um, which was really, really hard to fight. Um, And I felt that urge to push went away once I felt like a majority of the fluid, uh, the water had come out. Um, it was like, I just needed to relieve that pressure Mm. a little bit. So then my midwife got there. Um, I think when they broke my waters, they put the scalp clip on because I knew I couldn't stay still. So they said, look, we're going to put the clip on baby's head. My mum arrived just after the midwife did. Um, she stopped for coffee because yeah, it was like four o'clock in the morning by this point. Um, (laughs) so she stopped and got herself and Dan a coffee. Um, she didn't even bother to ask if I wanted one because she knew I'd say no. <laughs> um, so then they called the anaesthetist. I can remember the midwife walking in and them going, I'm just going to do handover. And I said, now that she's here, can you please just call the anaesthetist and then do handover? And they're like, oh, no, we really need to get handover going. And there was another midwife there. She goes, I'll call the anaesthetist. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I need... I need this epidural and I was just in so much pain. Like they'd ended up back to back again. I wasn't having a break between them. So my body was 
definitely doing its thing. Yeah. Um, and just before the anaesthetist got there, mum had stepped out. I don't know where mum had gone and it was only Dan and I in the room and he was standing beside me holding my hand and I looked at him and I went, I'm going to be sick. And he's like, what? And I had hyperemesis during my pregnancy. Yeah. Um, but I also have a vomit phobia. So I have very good control over when and where I am sick. And he was a bit shocked because I've always been really private about it and like sent him down the other end of the house or, yeah. you know, made sure I wasn't near people. And I just went, I'm going to be sick. And he's like, what? I said, I'm going to be sick. And he goes, what, what do you want me to do? And I said, I don't care, but I'm going to be sick. And there was a bin um, on the other side of the room. And as yeah. he grabbed the bin to walk over to me, I vomited on the floor. And as I vomited on the floor, the anaesthetist walked in. Yeah. And she's like, well, we're not going to be able to do the epidural if you're vomiting. And I sat up and I went, I'll stop. It's fine. <laughs> and she's like, what? I said, I'll stop. It's okay. And she's like, okay, no worries. And <laughs> yes, so she came in, did the epidural. And it, as soon as it was put in, um, massive urge to push again. So leading up to the having the epidural put in, I was just writhing around the bed. And, mm-hmm. you know, they kept saying to me, once this contraction finishes, put up the epidural. And I was like, they like they don't end. They don't stop. I don't have a break in between them. And at one point I swore at the midwife and I thought it was my mum. Um because she kept saying, when this one ends, and I went, just stop effing telling me what to do. And yeah. the midwife goes, there's no need to talk to me like that and walked off. And I was like, oh, okay, that wasn't mum. <laughs> and Dan turned around, he goes, the quicker you sit up, the quicker this gets done and the quicker you get pain relief. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I think it's the first thing he said to me pretty much since he got to the hospital once other than when um, I needed the bin to throw up in (laughs) Um, and so yeah I finally was able to sit up and have that done and I think me sitting up was all I needed to do to get my body going Mm -hmm. because once the epidural was in yeah like I couldn't fight the urge to push and it was different to the urge that I had when they broke my waters Mm. and my I can remember my mum whispering in my ear because when I had the epidural done I was leaning on her shoulder um, and Dan was holding my other hand and she's like you're not pushing are you and I was like I don't know and the midwife goes are you pushing and I was like no and she's like don't push you're not dilated enough and I was like I'm not (laughs) but I just like I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't not push yeah. And then the epidural kicked in and that urge went away. Yeah. Um, and next thing, like I, they laid me down and next thing I know in my head, I'm going, you need to take a breath. You need to take a breath. And I could hear my mom. My mom calls me Charlie. Um, and my mom's going, Charlie, Charlie, Tara, Tara. And she comes over and she shakes me. 
And I can just remember taking this deep breath and the midwife, yeah, had left the room. She came back in and she's like, what's wrong? And my mom's like, she's not breathing properly. Um, so she, they did the ice test and I was numb um, to my shoulders. So they sat me up okay. to drop um, the epidural and I still had a lot of pain in my bum. That's where I could feel everything. So I was still using the gas between contract um during my contractions and I just kept saying my bum hurts and she's like yeah the epidural won't take that pain away I was like okay but I just kept saying I've got all this pain in my bum and then what happened next oh they call she called the obstetrician in because um River's heart rate was going up mm-hmm. and it was dropping every time I had a contraction so they came and they looked and they said look um we're going to check you and see how far dilated you are but I mean I think this had only been an hour since they broke my waters um so it was about 5 30 in the morning I think um like we're going to check and just you know see what's happening but it doesn't look like he's coping very well Mm -hmm. um and they checked and they went oh you're fully dilated and I was like, well, that explains the urge to push that I had. <laughs> um, so they're like, look, because it's your first baby and because the epidural is in, um, we'll come back in an hour and reassess you. And I was like, yep, that's fine. No worries. So I wasn't able to rest at all because I was still having pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been a bit later. might have been about six. Then they came back in at about 7, 7.30 um they were still concerned about his heart rate and so they were going to do a fetal scalp lactate so they just um, get a drop of blood from baby's head and test it and if the lactate's high it just shows that baby's in distress Um, so they set that up then when she went to check she's like oh his head's right there (laughs) and I was like oh okay and that's probably why his heart rate was dropping because he's been sitting there for god knows how long um so yeah they were like all right well you can start pushing um so I pushed twice I think yeah through two contractions on my side then I said look can I get on my knees and she's like oh no because you've got an epidural and I like wiggled my legs around I was like no no I can like I can move I can I can feel my legs. Can I get up on my knees? And she's like, oh yeah, okay. And as I rolled over, my epidural disconnected. Yeah. And my husband was the only one that noticed and he didn't want to scare me. So he didn't tell me. Okay. Um, so I had only pushed my button once since the epidural went in because it had gone so high. I was worried about that happening mm-hmm. again and it wasn't really taking much of the pain away anyway. So Um, I hadn't pushed it for a while, but I got up on my knees and I think three contractions later, he was born. Um, I can remember the midwife going, stop pushing. And I went, no. And I pushed. Um, And that's probably how I ended up with a second degree tear. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I needed, I needed him out and I can remember my mum going, oh, my God, Tara, look at him. And I was like, well, I can't see him because he was behind me. (laughs) Um, They passed him through my legs and up to me. 
and I yeah turned around on the bed and I was just so relieved that that was over um so I ended up being 12 hours from when they put the balloon in to when he was born yeah so well not not long at all I didn't need any drip or anything yeah. just yeah, the balloon two hours of Servadil and my water's broken and my body did the rest itself amazing it was intense it was very and very very intense combated a lot in those oh, yeah. hours yeah. like not just the general difficulties that we encounter with like that birth is hard yeah. but like that yeah what you had to encounter with that obstetrician and yeah. with not being listened to yeah like you knew what was going on in your body yeah I you feel were like accurate yeah I feel like if they had have checked me like I know it had only been about 40 minutes or an, maybe an hour since they'd checked me once I had that urge to push after the epidural but I feel like if they had have checked me then River probably would have been born about two hours before mm. he was because that ejection reflex um I know what it is now because I felt it again when I had Hendrix but yeah. it was intense I could not stop it at all and the only reason it stopped is because the epidural kicked in a bit yeah. so that feeling went away but obviously things had still progressed quite quickly because I went from four centimeters to fully dilated in about two hours Mm. and that was just when they checked me I reckon I would have been fully dilated earlier than that yeah so how um long were you in the birth space because you would have had some stitches and um yeah did you get a fair bit of time together like uh skin yeah skin? yeah it was really yep yeah. so I think he was on me he was on me the whole time they stitched me up mm -hmm. um and it took so long to stitch me up that Dan left because by then it was my birthday. So River was born on my birthday. Um, <laughs> so Dan had left because he left my birthday card in the motel room and he'd checked out. So he dropped the key and everything. So yeah. there's a shopping center about 10 minutes away. So he went there, bought me a birthday card. He bought one of those 30 mil bottles of Jim Beam um, <laughs> and a bottle of Coke to celebrate with. He'd gone to the cafe downstairs gotten a coffee come back up and they still hadn't finished my stitches yeah um, tears can be hard I, like I I had quite a yeah. and uh, I always say things in like a trying to be funny way but I feel it was quite a decorative tear like it felt like it was everywhere <laughs> oh yeah yeah no mine was, mine was pretty bad <laughs> yeah um so it took a while I get I get yeah. what you mean yeah, they said that it was a very deep second degree tear um, and I was millimetres away from a third degree and needing to go to theatre. So they actually thought I'd torn the whole way through. Yeah. Um, so externally I tore right to my bum um, and internally there was a couple of really thin spots that they thought that I'd torn through internally as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was millimetres away from a second uh, a third degree tear and it was really deep mm. so it took a very long time people say to me how many stitches I said I don't know but it took about an hour <laughs> I said I think they stopped counting <laughs> yeah yeah 
so yeah I didn't even ask I was like yeah I don't care like (laughs) um, and so what kind of time would this have been now if you're about an hour into um so he was born at 7 53 in the morning um and we stayed in the birth suite until nearly 1 p.m um just because they didn't have a room for me um in the maternity ward so I had skin to skin had the first breastfeed he was probably on me for about two hours yeah um and then I was like all right I need I need to have a shower so they just had to make sure that the epidural oh good boy are you right that was a good burp (laughs) okay we've got a bit of reflux (laughs) yeah you're okay now (laughs) okay um did Um, anyone take the time to debrief your birth with you like um, that's a lot of uh change and and different people that you'd encountered as well like and I know you had uh this midwife through MGP but yeah did anyone like when you did get to move to your own space come in and move through kind of stuff with you? Um, so well, I'd mentioned earlier that I had been referred to see a psychologist. Yeah. Um, so that referral was for um, the date that I ended up giving birth. So once I got my induction date, I called them and I said, look, I've got an appointment on the 23rd. I'm booked for an induction on the 22nd. So um, I'll need to cancel that appointment because they couldn't get me in any earlier. And they said, that's fine. Um, get the midwife to let us know once you've had your baby and we'll come and see you. The psychologist came and saw me two days after I had River. Um, and I can remember him going, how was the birth? And I said, it was horrible. That I never, ever want to do that again. Um, and anyone that asked me, they'd be like, how was it? And I was like, it was, it was horrible absolutely horrible um I didn't enjoy anything about it other than the fact that I got my baby out of it that was it um my husband's still traumatized from it um it was not nice for any of us and I remember saying to my mum when River was a couple of months old I said was it that bad and she's like it was it was pretty bad because it wasn't nice to see she goes, I've had two babies, I've had an induction and it shouldn't have been like that. Yeah. I was like, okay, like I just sort of needed that, that reassurance that I wasn't exaggerating about mm-hmm. things. Um, I just had a parcel delivered. <laughs> um, yeah, so other than the psychologist coming and seeing me and obviously I had oxytocin everything flowing through me so I was like no like I'm I'm great I'm fine like yeah it was horrible but look at my baby I was like everything's okay um but I can remember the first night so Dan didn't stay the first night because originally I was in a double room um and then just after he left they moved me to a single room um but because he'd just driven an hour home and neither of us had slept for about 36 hours so I was like I'm not going to wake him up 
to come back. I was like, babies just sleep on the first night anyway, so it'll be fine. Um, and yeah, it was. He breastfed every couple of hours and slept and it was great. Um, and I can remember one of the midwives came in and asked me how long it had been since River had had a feed. And I said, oh, it's been nearly four hours. I said, so I'll wake him up to feed soon and she's like why I said because it's been nearly four hours and that's just what we do in the nursery we don't let them go more than four hours mm-hmm. without feeding um and she's like oh no you don't need to do that she's like you know it's, he's a healthy term baby you know, he's fine I was like oh, okay no worries and she goes well babies turn into sick babies when you treat them like sick babies and I was like oh okay so yeah that stuck in my head and it's probably the worst thing someone could have said to me as a new mum because mm-hmm. it made me doubt myself so yeah. much even though the experience that I had with babies it was with sick babies so I didn't know what well babies behavior was so yeah I doubted myself a lot and it turns out that I um, I was getting vasospasms um, when I was breastfeeding. Um, I was getting thrush every couple of weeks. I had really badly cracked nipples. Um, so I had to see a lactation consultant who um, gave us a nipple shield, which was a game changer. Um, but I hated it. I hated breastfeeding. It was really painful. Um, at one point, River only gained 100 grams in six weeks. And I was told that he was fine. He'd dropped percentiles. Um, I think he'd dropped from the 50th percentile to the 19th percentile. And I kept being told that he was fine. And it turns out that he had a cow's milk protein intolerance. Um, yeah. So once I, and, and soy intolerance. So once I cut dairy from my diet, um, he started gaining weight again. Um, <laughs> He also had an episode of SVT, which is a rapid irregular heart rate when he was seven weeks old. Um, And again, what that midwife said was in my head. And I was like, maybe, you know, he's okay. He was really lethargic. Um, He went from being this horrible sleeper to a baby that only woke for feeds every three hours. And I thought, oh, maybe something's clicked. And he just, you know, he knows how to sleep now. Um, He was pale he was lethargic his temperature was low so I took him to hospital and his heart rate was about 300 when it shouldn't be higher than sort of 170 so um yeah that was intense (laughs) so yeah what that midwife said it really stuck really stuck with me yeah and I feel like it delayed getting him help a lot because I thought I was exaggerating that maybe there wasn't anything wrong. And yeah, once we got the SVT sorted and we got the intolerances sorted, um, I stopped breastfeeding when he was six months old um, and put him on an allergy formula. And he is now back on the 50th percentile and thriving. Um, We ended up going to sleep school when he was about six months old, just because Mm -hmm. he was such a horrible sleeper. Um, he decided that he didn't need to sleep more than one sleep cycle day and night. So he was up every roughly 45 minutes and yeah. wouldn't settle without breastfeed. So yeah, we got that sorted. 
and about three months later decided to try for another baby (laughs) (laughs) and had you found space for yourself for self-care like how was that journey um kind of in being in postpartum and then having had a traumatic birth experience and then moving into conceiving yeah so I actually had really horrible um like a really bad exacerbation of my anxiety and depression. Um, so I'd started seeing a psychologist again um, and started taking uh, antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Um, so anxiety and depression is something I've dealt with since I was about 15 and yeah. never been medicated for. Um, so I felt like I was surviving. I wasn't enjoying being a mum. And just, yeah, really struggling. I was doing what I had to to keep me and River alive. Um, So we went into our first lockdown with COVID when he was six months old. So that meant that Dan was gone for two to three months at a time, um, would come home for six weeks and leave again, just because it was too much having to do the hotel quarantine every time he went back to South Australia. financially it wasn't worth him having that much time off work he used all his leave so our only option was for him to work um my maternity leave wasn't enough to cover everything Mm -hmm. um so I yeah I really struggled and I was focusing so much on getting river sleep that I didn't have time for myself I didn't have time to go out and see my friends um not that I could because we were in lockdown. Um, my mum was an hour and a half away. My dad had moved to the Gold Coast. Dan's parents couldn't come over and help. So I went back to work because I felt like I needed something that gave me purpose. Um, being a mum felt really monotonous and exhausting. I wasn't sleeping because I was just dreading that next wake up. And it sort of felt like, what's the point in going to sleep when he's going to wake up soon? Mm. Um, So I don't know why I decided it would be a good idea to have another baby um, when that's how I felt. Um, So I'd been on antidepressants for three months when I fell pregnant. Um, Maybe that's why. (laughs) Maybe that's why I decided to have another baby. Um, but yeah, I felt like, you know, my husband and I both agreed that we wanted to. And I was like, well, we're already not sleeping. Um, let's just get it over with. Let's just have another one and we'll have two under two and it'll be hard, but, you know, let's do it. Um, and this time you like sought different care providers as well. Like you were quite aware of how you were going to line things up differently. Yeah to hold space for yourself yeah yeah so um I had found myself a really really supportive GP by then um and she actually recommended um the hospital so I birthed at Kilmore Hospital this time um, and is that the one and, that was 25 minutes from you or is that yeah, yeah yeah so I looking back I mean hindsight is 2020 I wish I went there with river because the care was phenomenal and I can't fault them at all um their facility like 
it's small. I think they have two to 300 births a year. Um, whereas the hospital that I had river at have 600 births a month, roughly. So very different, very, very, very different. Um, so with my GP and my psychologist, um, well, in consultation with them, I decided that I wanted to have a cesarean, um, this time I didn't want to labor. I saw no benefit of me laboring again, potentially tearing again. Um, it took months um, to heal from my tear with River's birth, yeah. which didn't help. So it hurt to sit down. It hurt to breastfeed. Like, you know, it was just not a fun couple mm-hmm. of months. Um, so I was so worried about birth again that I didn't actually book in to a hospital until I was, I think, 18 weeks. Um, I just sort of felt like if I don't book in, then I don't have to worry about it yet. I don't have yeah. to talk about it. I just, you know, I'm pregnant and I love the fact that I was pregnant and that I didn't have morning sickness. It yeah, was, I was gonna amazing. <laughs> I think, um, I think I was sick maybe five times my whole pregnancy. Um, and most of that was in my third trimester. So mm. it was so much better. Um, and I didn't have the pelvic girdle pain. I didn't have the back pain. I don't know what it was. It was just a much easier pregnancy. And I'd been dreading it because, yeah, I didn't have a fun pregnancy with River. Um, I still didn't, didn't enjoy it. I'm not the sort of person that enjoys pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved my belly. I never thought I'd say, but like I missed my bump. <laughs> um it was probably my favorite part and the like the kicks on the inside um so yeah I was referred to the hospital had my booking appointment with a midwife um, and Hendrix was much more active yeah until the end (laughs) but we'll get to that (laughs) um I started having Braxton Hicks around 15 weeks again with him um and I've just got a bit of an irritable uterus so it's fine. Um, I just learned to dealt, deal with it. Um, yeah, because there's so few midwives at Kilmore. Um, I think I only saw three different midwives throughout yeah. my whole pregnancy. Um, and the obstetrician that they referred me to was amazing. And um, I'm in a really, really good pregnancy group um, on Facebook, which is now our mum's group. And found another mum that was birthing at Kilmore Hospital as well. And she was having her fourth baby um, with the same obstetrician that I'd been booked in with. So she actually requested him um, after her first birth and couldn't speak highly of him enough. Um, Anyone that asks me in the area since, like, yep, go to Kilmore Hospital and see this obstetrician because he's amazing. Um, Yeah, so saw him, said that I wanted to have a Therein, he said yep that sounds like a really good idea like I obviously explained what had happened in River's labor and birth and he was a bit shocked as well um, yeah he said that uh cesarean sounds like a good idea given everything that I'd been through so that was my plan um and then around 34 weeks started having reduced movements mm-hmm. so I went in um and was just having a scan uh, the CTG done and I'd asked the midwife um, 
how long their stay was for cesareans. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you know, said to me, you know, um, up to seven days, depending on what I feel like. I was like, perfect. Yeah. And then she asked why I was having a cesarean because obviously she had my history there, saw that I'd had a vaginal birth with River. So I explained everything to her. What's wrong, little man? You're just not happy this afternoon. explained everything to her and she said to me have you considered um an induction with an early epidural and I said well I didn't know that was an option she goes of course it's an option I was like oh okay then so I had an appointment with the obstetrician a week later and mentioned it to him yeah and he said yeah that's fine he said we can we can definitely do that so we cancelled the cesarean with an aim to have an induction between 39 and 40 weeks um and that was yeah that was my plan from there and then at 37 weeks I went for my appointment and had mentioned that I was still having some reduced movements so they sent me in for monitoring um, and said yep just come back if anything happens and then it got to about five o'clock so that was first thing in the morning because I'd actually come off night shift and then go on to my appointment and stayed on the CTG for two hours because I fell asleep and they didn't want to wake me. Um, <laughs> so I think it was about 11 o'clock by the time I got home and then five o'clock the same day, I still hadn't felt him move. Um, yeah. So I went back up there and that was the good thing that I never felt like I was a burden. Mm. So I felt confident enough going back up there that they would just reassure me and that they wouldn't make me feel like I was wasting their time, yeah. which I know a lot of women feel like that, that they're like, oh, I don't want to bother the midwives. And I never felt like I was bothering them. Yeah. So because it was the second time I'd been there and he still wasn't moving. Normally when they put the CTG on, he'd start going crazy and he didn't. Um, I think I only felt him move once the whole time I was on the CTG. So, and I'd been having um, some contractions. So they asked if I wanted them to check me and see if I was dilating and all. And I was like, yep, you may as well. So they checked me and nothing had happened, but I was very obviously having contractions and they were quite regular. So they said, they asked if I'd be happy to stay the night. Again, the joys of being a very small hospital. Um, Yeah. And so that they could do another CTG before I went to sleep. And then again, first thing in the morning and send me for an ultrasound and go from there. And I was like, yep, that's fine. So stayed the night, had the best night's sleep I'd had in months. Um, I think knowing that I didn't have to keep an ear out for my toddler. (laughs) And was he with your mum or was he with your partner's parents or with your Um, husband? Dan was home at the time. So he was with, he was with Dan. Um, and yeah, stayed the night and then had the ultrasound. Everything looked fine. So, uh, and he was moving okay. So I went home with the plan to come back in um, every second day just to have a trace done, sort of for my reassurance. So that was fine. I think that was a Wednesday. I went back in on the Thursday and just said, look, he's not moving. Um, you're okay. So they admitted me. They said, look, you're having these contractions. He's still not moving. We're just going to admit you um, with the plan to get me to 38 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then they said they'd induce me at 38 weeks. And I was like, yep, that's fine. So I ended up being in for, yeah, a week. Um, so the Monday night when I was 37 weeks, or the Monday morning when I was 37 weeks and six days, the plan was, are you okay? I must be in the Sunday. They made the plan that Monday night I would have um, Servadil um, and then on the Tuesday morning when I was 38 weeks, have an early epidural, break my waters, get things going and have a baby. Mm-hmm. Then the obstetrician who was not my my regular obstetrician, um, she came around and said, no, we can't do Servadil because you've been having contractions. And I was like, well, I've been having like Braxton Hicks and tightening since 15 weeks and the plan has been the whole time I've been in hospital is to have, have the server deal. Um, and she's like, no, the only way I will give that to you is if you stop having tightenings. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen because like I said, it's been happening since 15 weeks. Mm. I said, so what are my options? And she goes, okay, your options are to wait and see what happens. And then we'll try and induce you again at 39 weeks. Um, have a balloon put in tomorrow morning or have, oh no, have a balloon put in that night or have a cesarean the next day. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not waiting because I've been in here for a week already. Mm-hmm. I said, when would the balloon go in? And she goes, that would go in tonight. I'm like, no, nah, I can't do it. I don't want a balloon. It was really traumatic having mm-hmm. it put in last time. Um, I said, I don't, I don't want that. And she goes, look, you don't have to make a decision now. Think about it. And I'll come back and see you this afternoon and see what you decide. Um, so I went home for a couple of hours. Um, one, cause I'd run out of clean clothes and yeah. two, because I hadn't seen River for a week. Um, yeah. And I didn't want the next time that he saw me to be with baby. Um, he was too little to understand. He was only uh, 20 months old. Um, and he just, yeah, would have been too little to understand what was happening if I just rocked up with a baby after him not seeing me for a week. Um, so I went home, talked to my husband, and I was like, all right, I'm not having a balloon. I'm not waiting another week. Let's just have a cesarean tomorrow. And he's like, is that what you really want? I said, not really, but I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. And if the options that I've been given, that's the one that I'm most okay with. And I didn't have a problem with having a cesarean I was just a bit disappointed because I'd done all that work and all that mental Mm. prep to come to the point where I was okay having a vaginal birth and then I felt like it had been taken off me um so yeah I went back to the hospital spoke to the doctor and said yep I'm just gonna have the cesarean because she came in she goes look you know we're too busy to do like if you did choose a balloon we're too busy to do it now we'll just discuss it in the morning and I said look I'm gonna have a cesarean anyway she goes okay perfect she goes I can't do the consent for you because I won't be the one doing the cesarean um but she goes your usual obstetrician is back tomorrow so he'll come and see you in the morning do the consent um but it probably won't be done until the afternoon I was like Mm -hmm. that's fine um so I'd called my mum my mum was actually my birth support person um so Dan stayed home with River so I called my mum, explained everything to my mum because she lives an hour and a half away. So that gave her time um, to get down here. 
And like with the current COVID restrictions and everything, she couldn't actually come in until just before my cesarean. Okay. Um, I got them to allow her to come in because technically I was a maternity patient. So we were allowed one visitor per day. So I got them to allow her to come in the night before just so that we could, mm-hmm. you know, chat and it'd be nice to see my mum because she is my main support um, other than Dan. Um, luckily, mum's brother lives in the town um, where I gave birth. So she slept on his couch for the night just in case anything happened overnight and she needed to come in and so that she could be there early in the morning. So then 7.30 the next morning, um, a midwife came in who was actually the midwife that I'd spoken to who told me that I had the option to have the induction with the early epidural. And she came in and she goes, is this what you want? And I said, no. (laughs) I said, but I don't have a choice. Like, you know, these were the options I was given. And she's like, nope, that's not right. I'm going to talk to the obstetrician and you're not having a cesarean. I was like, okay. Um, So she disappeared and she came back and she goes, all right, we've got a plan. The doctor's going to come and explain it to you. Um, But we're going to give you prostin, which is just a gel to ripen your cervix. And then this afternoon, we'll give you an epidural, we'll break your waters and you'll have your baby tonight. And I was like, awesome. Sounds good. (laughs) Then she comes back 10 minutes later and she goes, no, we're not doing any of that. He's just going to give you an epidural and break your waters. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. But I knew that I had to wait because there was, it's a small hospital. They've only got two birthing beds, but they only had the staff for one woman. And there was another lady being induced and they went, don't worry, it's her third baby. She'll be done by lunchtime. And I was like, oh, okay, no worries. <laughs> um, and then the doctor actually finally came around for the rounds and he was sort of weighing it up and he goes, look, if we're going to have to wait until this afternoon anyway, we may as well just do some prostin and just see what your cervix does. And I was like, that's fine. I said, that put me into labor with River, like the Cervidil, it's basically the same thing. Um, and he goes, it's a much smaller dose. So you should be fine. I was like, all right, no worries. Cause I hadn't dilated at all. My cervix was still mm-hmm. long and closed and firm. Um, but because I was getting the epidural, he's like, I'm not really concerned. He goes, because you can't feel it. So I can just get in there and break your waters. I was like, yeah, that's not a problem. So I knew that at three o'clock I'd be going to birth suite and getting set up and it got to five to three. And I looked at my mom and I was like, well, we're obviously not going to birth suite at three o'clock. Um, I hadn't organized anything. Uh, Mum had been with me since about nine o'clock in the morning or they ended up putting the prostate in at nine and mum got there just after that. I didn't have any niggles, nothing. It was the first time in two weeks I hadn't had any contractions. I was like, on on the day that I need this to be happening, they stopped completely. (laughs) Not like not even the slightest Braxton Hicks, nothing. Mm. I was like, oh, great. Um, and then bang on three o'clock, the midwife came in and it was my favorite midwife that I'd met while I was in hospital. We had a really good rapport built. Um, so she came in bang on three o'clock. She's like, all right, let's get down there. Um, so I got everything set up and had some essential oils in my diffuser. Um, and I had a really bad sinus infection and so I couldn't breathe. And I was like, how am I going to labor? if I can't breathe and so I'm glad I had the diffuser on because I had eucalyptus and I had clary sage and some lavender and frankincense Mm -hmm. and just made up this concoction to put in there 
<laughs> and at one point the diffuser stopped and I looked at my mum and I was like is that diffuser stopped she goes yeah well I'm like I can't breathe you need to turn it back on <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so we got everything set up um had a speaker ready I didn't want any music on at that point though I was just talking we were laughing and we were like oh we're gonna laugh this baby out like it's gonna be fine um the anaesthetist came in did the epidural I think the epidural had been in for about an hour when the obstetrician came in to break my waters and I did the ice test and I could still feel my legs like Mm my sort of numb from my belly button to my boobs but below was like I could still feel everything fine um and they were like oh you know we don't we don't really know what's going on but let's give it a go so they gave me the gas and attempted to break my waters and I was like I can feel everything every little thing you are doing I can feel and it was really painful um so he goes what do you want to do and I said look let's just give it one more go and if we can't get it then we'll have to fix the epidural um so I really sucked on the gas and air and I'd done sort of not really very well but that hypnobirthing course with River and I hadn't touched on it again at all since then um but one of the midwives was a hypnobirthing instructor and she said that I do the breathing techniques really well um so obviously something stuck with me so yeah I just focused on my breathing and they managed to break my waters and that was I think about 5 30 by then um and they asked if I wanted to wait before they started the drip or just get the drip going and I was like look just like what are we waiting for we're just delaying the inevitable I said let's just get the drip up and let's just get this going um so the drip started I think it had been going for maybe half an hour or an hour Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I felt like I couldn't breathe and it felt like when I had the epidural with river I was just like I can't breathe so I sat myself upright and that's what also showed me my epidural wasn't working was I swung my legs either side of the bed and just sat up and yeah. I looked at my midwife and I said Hannah I can't breathe she goes what I said I can't breathe and I could barely finish the sentence so she checked my blood pressure and everything my blood pressure had dropped um she stopped the epidural and did the ice test and I was numb and from my hips to not my hips, just above my hips to the top of my shoulders. Um, So it had gone the complete wrong way and I could feel everything else (coughs) from my belly button down. I could feel everything. So I was like, that's what I don't want to be feeling. Um, But yeah, they called the anaesthetist, said to turn the epidural off, wait until it had dropped um, to a certain point, which was just below my boobs, and then they could turn it back on again. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think they turned it back on. I asked them to, but I don't think they did. Um, So I remember Hannah went for her dinner and another midwife came in and that other midwife never left. So things progressed really quickly. Um, So Hannah was gone for about half an hour. She came back and they were just discussing my CTG and what was happening. And I looked at Hannah and I said, I think I'm pushing. And she goes, that's okay. Try and breathe through it. And another couple of contractions. And I looked 
looked at my mom and I was like, I can't, like, I can't breathe through these. Like I, like I need to push. And she's like, yep, that's fine. So got everything, like she got the birth trolley and everything set up. And I think I'd pushed maybe three or four times. And I was like, is anything even happening? I was like, I'm not going to keep pushing if nothing's happening. She goes, no, no, no. Like, you know, things are happy, happening. She goes, I can see some parting. And I was like, okay. <laughs> At least that means that there's something, something there. Um, at some point I'd put music on and I had a playlist that was just called backyard barbecue or something. So I just had a mixture okay. of songs and then Holy Grail came on and yeah. I pushed Hendrix out to the Holy Grail. Um, I can remember at one point saying to my mom, I didn't want this. I didn't want this. And she's like, you didn't want what? And I said, I didn't want the pain. I didn't want to feel it. Um, and I was like, I, like, I don't want to do this. And she's like, it's a bit too late. You, you have to do it. And I was like, all right. So I had my wobble and then, yeah, I, I think it was the next contraction. He was born. Um, I actually listened to him this time when they told me to stop pushing, which didn't prevent any tearing at all. I tore in the exact same spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can remember looking at him and I just couldn't believe that I'd done it. And mm -hmm. just this overwhelming, like I just felt so empowered and I was like, I've done it. Like I did it and I did it myself. And they, after they broke my waters, they ne never checked me again. They let me listen to my body. And I can remember Hannah saying to me, do what you want. This is your show. This is your birth. Mm -hmm. And she just let me go. She let me trust my instincts and listen to my body. And I've never felt so empowered. And it was just weird looking at Hendrix thinking I did it because I didn't feel that with River. With River, it was, thank God that's over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I didn't bond with River straight away, but with Hendrix, I did. It was that instant feeling. And I was like, I get it. This is what people talk about um I didn't feel that with River so it's been a completely different experience having that bond from the get-go yeah but yeah it was just such an incredible experience and I can't speak highly enough of um the hospital of the midwife that just knew what I wanted and my obstetrician um yeah giving me that opportunity so it was I think two hours and 12 minutes from when they broke my waters to when Hendrix was born. And you were so on the cusp of change, like of yeah. having to move in different directions. And it was, I've, I've heard other people's stories as well, where just that small delay that allows for a shift change can actually yeah. change the entire birth pathway. Oh yeah, it really did. Yeah, and it was just bizarre that I'd woken up that morning thinking that I was having a cesarean and 12 hours later I had a vaginal birth and it was just yeah like, wow I'm so glad that I did and like I you said you'd done all that preparation from the cesarean with... yeah yeah and I just like I just can't imagine healing from a cesarean like we live in a two-story house and like River now still wants me to pick him up all the time. Like there's no way I would have been able to do that. Like he's not very big. He's only about 13 kilos and he's two. 
Um, yeah. But it's just, yeah, it would have been really hard work. Whereas, I mean, I healed so well this time. It took me months to heal from my tear um, after River's birth. But yeah, it's been a dream. Like everything's perfect and Hendrix is four months old next week. So. <laughs> wow. Did you do anything differently with your tear? Like, did you um, have a certain routine for caring or, or was it just maybe a bit easier the second time round to heal from it? I think it was just a bit easier the second time around. Um, yep. I think there's been a bit of uh, like a bit of nerve damage. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I didn't feel it so much because it was just the scarring um, that tore. It was just as deep um, and just as big, but I don't know if that had anything to do with it or I didn't overdo it this time after River's birth. I just wanted to get out and do everything and I had the luxury that Mm -hmm. I could, but being in lockdown, um, like I really took it easy. Um, And I mean, Hendrix was a horrible breastfeeder as well. um, Used a nipple shield from the second day. He wasn't even 24 Mm -hmm. hours old and he'd already completely destroyed my nipples. So using a nipple shield and... Um, I got mastitis three times in two weeks and that was when I gave up. So I stopped breastfeeding him when he was four weeks old. Um, mm-hmm. uh, oh, oh, the tear, that's what I was talking about. Um, yeah, I just didn't overdo it. So I actually let myself rest and I think that helped a lot. But yeah, I, I definitely think there's nerve damage there because I've just got altered sensation Um like around feeling when I need to wee, like it's like I don't get that urge until I'm about to wet my pants. Um, yeah. Or I'll get the slight urge and then it will go away, but I need to make an appointment. I was seeing a uh, women's health physio while I was pregnant. Great. Because um, my, I have the opposite problem to a lot of women. My pelvic floor is too tight. Mm-hmm. So it never actually uh, relaxes. So I was having incontinence while I was pregnant because my pelvic floor is so tight that whenever I coughed or sneezed or vomited, um, it would rather like, it wouldn't just put pressure on my um, stomach and my chest. It would push down onto my bladder. Um, and that pressure would cause me to have a little bit of incontinence. Um, yeah. Luckily never happened in public. It was only ever at home. Um, but yeah. there was one day I was about to go to the supermarket and I sneezed and wet my pants and I was like, I'm just going to go and, have a shower and then I'll go to the supermarket. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I need to go back and, and see her and work on that. But yeah, I, um, I was under strict instructions not to do pelvic floor exercises. So all these women are like, Oh, I do pelvic floor exercises. And I was like, yeah, no. no. Whereas really <laughs> it's go that. see a pelvic, well, a woman's health physio and find yeah. out what your pelvic floor state of affairs is actually like yeah. like because yeah, yeah I, so many yeah. people think kegel 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 and it's actually like yes. that could be the wrong advice yeah so if i was doing kegels it would have made everything worse yeah. yeah so i thought i needed to do them i was like oh, i'm wetting my pants i'm gonna have to go and do this and then she was like no you've you've got the opposite problem it's too tight mm. like, yeah okay sure <laughs> yeah so working on ways to fix that but and yeah. that's really good advice to pass on to people to go see a women's health physio. Yes. Uh, it's just good practice anyway. Like yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I've said it a lot. Like I'm in a, another really good Facebook group um, for Aussie women that have had their babies in 
June. Uh, mm-hmm. June? Yeah, June. <laughs> God, I can't even remember when he was born. In June. Um, and like throughout our pregnancy, women would say that they're experiencing incontinence and people would go, oh, you know, it's normal. And I'm like, no, just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. Like you don't have yeah. to suffer through this. Like you can, you can sort it out. And if you can yeah. get on top of it, like start getting on top of it during your pregnancy, it's going to make it so much better afterwards. Mm. Yeah, so many women, it's like, it's a common misconception that incontinence during pregnancy and after children is normal, but just because it's common yeah. doesn't mean it's normal. You're absolutely right. I think people put the word normal in there to try and decrease shame. It's like, yeah. well, there is no shame, but no. it is something that you can receive help in. Yeah. Like yeah, it's definitely. not like you're not sit alone, back and live but... with this new state of affairs. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so many women don't seek help for it because they're just like, oh, you know, well, you know, a lot of people go through it. So this is normal. And it's like, no, you don't have to live like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how was um, your postpartum kind of the last four months, how has that been compared to the first time around when you were balancing yeah, a lot so of kind of post-birth um, trauma? How has it been yeah. now, like that after that healing birth experience? Oh, it was completely different, completely different. I, um, I was fine until Hendrix was six weeks old and I don't seem to get baby blues or anything like that. I cope well until about six weeks postpartum and then I get postnatal depression. Um, So I am dealing with that again. Um, It's been a bit of a journey. When Hendrix was five weeks old, I took him to hospital just because something didn't feel right. Um, He was a bit lethargic, um, got off his feeds and found out that he had a urinary tract infection. So he had to have four days in hospital having IV antibiotics. Mm. Um, and when they did an ultrasound, found out that he's got one kidney smaller than the other. Okay. Um, so we just need to keep an eye on that. Um, Good listening to your intuition. Yeah. 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 Paid off with River um, when he was in SVT and paid off with, um, mm-hmm. with Hendrix with the UTI. Um, so we just need to follow that up when he's six months old and just have another ultrasound and track the growth but they don't think it will affect anything it's just something to keep an eye on yeah Um, and then I took him back to hospital a week later and I was like look he's just he's still not feeding don't know what's going on decreased wet nappies and so they rechecked his urine again by the time we were seen it was about nine o'clock at night um so they said look rather than you staying in ED overnight given everything that's going on we'll run this urine go home and come back um, in the morning. So they booked me in to come in and speak to um, one of the ED doctors at 10 o'clock the next morning. Mm -hmm. So I came back the next morning and they said, look, we think it's a feeding issue. And conveniently, one of the pediatricians that was in ED that day specialises in feeding issues. So she came and spoke to us. Um, She diagnosed him with a cow's milk protein allergy and gave mm-hmm. us the prescription for allergy formula. And I mean, I'd stopped breastfeeding by then anyway. Yeah. Um, so we got him onto that formula and it wasn't really working. A week later, I took him back to hospital. And I was like, look, he's vomiting more. The reflux is that bad that he's choking on it and he's gasping and, you know, something's not right. 
So we booked an appointment. Um, they contacted his paediatrician. They booked an appointment to see her, but said in the meantime, put him on no black allergy, which is a rice-based formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that that wasn't really making him any better. And a new formula had come out on the market called Sprout Organic, um, which is rice and pea protein. Yeah. And it's a bit more gentle on their stomachs. So we were giving him that with a little bit of thickener just to help with the reflux. And he wouldn't even get halfway through a bottle and he'd have hives all over his face and his chest, but he wasn't having the vomiting and the reflux and everything like that. And I was like, okay, we'll just wait and see what the pediatrician says. So he was on that for two weeks and then she saw him and saw photos. Like it was all over video conference because of COVID. Um, And so she was like, you know what? I think he's got a rice allergy. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. So gave us a prescription for a new formula um, that he's been on for about six weeks now. Um, Mm -hmm. And he is a lot better. He's still having sort of mucusy and watery poo sometimes, um, but barely vomit. So what we're working on now um, is just increasing his feed volumes and stretching out the time between his feeds because he Mm -hmm. likes to snack. So he'll happily drink like, 40, 50 mils every two hours instead of having a full bottle every three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're working on that. Um, and I've started seeing a new psychologist. So I'm working on my mental health um, and just learning to ask for help when mm-hmm. I need it. So um, we've been accepted into, it's called Tweddle down here in Melbourne in Footscray. And they're traditionally known as a sleep school, but they work with sleep and settling and um, parent and infant mental health. So we've been yeah. accepted um, for a five five day residential stay with them. So they do have day mm-hmm. services as well, um, but said that we meet the criteria for a five day stay. So we're just waiting to find out when that will be. Um, they've marked us as urgent just because of the sleeping and feeding issues mixed with my mental health. Um, they're trying to get us in there as soon as they can, but it could be anywhere between now and January just because yeah. the demand is so high. So mm. things are getting better. Um, and I'm sort of learning to take the pressure off myself and not be so hard on myself as well. Um, and while it sucks, my husband's out of work at the moment. So he's been home for the last eight weeks. Um, he's only actually had two weeks away since Hendrix was born. So yeah, financially it sucks, but it's been really good to have the help and we've got a really good system going and um yeah good routine mm. to get the boys sorted and yeah it's nice to be able to just check out for a couple of hours and go and do my own thing yeah um, especially because I, I mean I breastfed River till he was six months old so I just felt trapped as well mm. um, whereas yeah with Hendrix I can leave him with anyone and be like yeah I gave him a bottle when he wants it <laughs> yeah this is the one <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah, in a lot of aspects, it's a lot easier, I think, because I knew what I was in for. Nothing prepares you for being a mum ever. Um, like, I'm, mm. I work with newborns. It's, it's what I do, but nothing prepares you for having your own. It's so different when it's your own. It's so different when you can't give them back. Um, and, yeah, the challenges now with having a toddler, the terrible twos are definitely in full force. Um, 
and yeah it's like every time i i work them out they change and they grow and their needs yeah. change so, yeah i think the wonder weeks keep well. going like those leaps they yeah. stop writing about them but there's totally a hundred exactly. more it's, yeah that's what i said to my husband i was like you know this says that there's no more leaps but you know he's showing all we're the seeing them all the time in the leaps. yeah <laughs> yeah 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 just because they stop writing about them doesn't mean they stop <laughs> yeah well good on you for being so proactive with seeking out what you need like what would you say to people who are kind of in that before step uh before you kind of decide to go seek and find assistance and help like what are some of those early steps you can take to find out what's available yeah so i think my biggest thing to say first is don't be ashamed um i was so scared to admit that something was wrong after i had river that i really delayed getting the help that i needed so it wasn't until he was about nine months old that i actually got the help it wasn't through lack of trying though um, I think he was about four months old when I said to my maternal child health nurse, look, I am, like, I am struggling, um, but just wasn't referred to the right places. And just because you don't click with someone doesn't mean you won't click with someone else. So mm. speak to your GP, get a mental health care plan, speak to your maternal child health nurse, um, reach out to places like Panda and Cope. Um, yeah. So Panda is the perinatal anxiety and depression Australia I think that's what panda stands for and then cope is the center of perinatal excellence um, so cope have a text service as well so if you're not comfortable calling someone or yeah well um, speaking to someone they do have a text service I think it may only be after hours um, but yeah if you find it easier to discuss your problems over text reach out to cope um, there's also a website that was started by, I think it's Beyond Blue and the Mercy Hospital for Women in Heidelberg. They created a website called Mum Space and that's all self-guided um, therapy, I guess, for women with uh, perinatal and postnatal anxiety and depression and mental illness. Um, so, yeah, it's just videos and little courses and stuff that you can do online. Um, that was recommended to me by, uh, I don't know what her specialty is, but she actually helped set it all up. Um, and I was put in contact with her through my maternal child health nurse. Um, so yeah, definitely ask for help. Ask your mum friends. You're definitely not, not alone. Um, I've got a group chat with a few mums um, in my friend circle and I, like we all live in the same town. So I just said in the group chat, I said, is anyone seeing a psychologist? I'm looking for a new one. And it was yeah. really hard for me to say, but I mean, I've always been open about mental health because mm -hmm. once you mention it, you'd be surprised how many other people are feeling it as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So ask your mum friends, ask GPs. If you're put in touch with the mum's group through the local council, I can't recommend it highly enough. I nearly didn't go to my first session. Um, just because River was such an unsettled baby, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to be that mum with the, the crying baby. And <clears throat> it was actually great. Like, I still talk to nearly all of the mums from that mums group. So, mm. yeah, find your village. Definitely find your village and ask for help. You don't have to be perfect. 
top-notch advice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, lands. Whoa, I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely. It took me a long time to realise that it was okay to ask for help, and asking for help makes me a better mum. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for sharing, like, your huge birth journeys um, move, and how you moved through so much change as well and your postpartum experience. Like, they <laughs> are... definitely been yeah. a journey. <laughs> <laughs> They're big stories and there's a lot to learn in there and um, hear about how much change can be okay as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm definitely going to use my journeys when I do eventually finish midwifery. Um, after River's birth, I said, I'm going to use this to make sure that no other woman has to go through what I went through. Yeah. Yeah, like that midwife coming in and being like, do you want this? It's like, that's a really cool thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she was great. So we definitely need more midwives like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, that continuity of care, you, you don't get that in metro hospitals and to have that in a small hospital. And she wasn't mm. even my midwife. She was the nurse unit manager who just saw my name and saw that I was on the list for a cesarean. And she came down and she's like, this isn't what you want. We're not doing this. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she was out of her way to help me. So yeah, small country hospitals are definitely much better than metro ones, in my opinion. Thank you again to Tara for sharing so openly and genuinely about her two very different birth experiences. If you would like to share your rural birth story, I would so like to hear from you. I personally am about to give birth. I'm in the late third trimester of my second pregnancy. But if you want to send me an email and share with me, please do. Rural birth at gmail.com and I will get back to you once my second bub is here and I come out of that fourth trimester haze. I so look forward to joining you in 2022 and continuing to share many birth stories. Thank you for listening.